0: We're going to dive in this morning. Um, we're going to see the gospel at work through Jesus and his interaction with a particular woman at a particular well this morning. So if you will turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. We'll be going through verses 1 through 26 this morning. Uh, I know that's a lot, but we'll, I promise it's going to be okay. It's going to be good. So, I've never, I've never really heard of too much Bible Uh, before. don't think that's a thing. So this will be good. I'm going to pray entirely through the text of verses 1 through 26 and I'm going to read through them and then we're going to have a word of prayer and then I'll begin to kind of dive in. So verse 1 reads, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee Will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, where you worship the Father, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people who worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we are so grateful for your word. God, it is a tremendous blessing that we are able to hear your voice directly any and every time we long to, God, by opening this word, God. God, we believe that your word is sufficient. God, there's no need to add to or take away from this word, but found within this word is the very words of life, God, that you have given to us, your church. God, I pray that this morning that your word will be faithful and it will not return void. I have confidence, God, that you will do so. God, I pray that these hearts will begin to soften and to gently open and allow the piercing word of God in this morning, Lord. God, you have a message for each and every one of us here. And I pray that we will be obedient to respond to what you have for us. May your spirit fall upon this place and upon this word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. My phone's a little more accurate, so I'm going to bust it out to make sure I don't keep you guys long. That would be a bad first impression to have you guys stay through lunch. But we're going to dive right in. the story in John chapter 4 is probably my favorite Story in the Bible, um, and I don't know if you guys are like me, but your favorite verse and favorite story in the Bible probably changes year in and year out. Uh, I was stuck on the rich young ruler for several years, but for the past few years, I love the woman at the well, and I'll tell you why is because it has sort of shifted in what it means to me. Uh, when I first encountered the story of the woman at the well, I didn't know how to read my Bible very good. I didn't understand uh, what questions to ask when I read the Bible. And so there are primary and secondary truths uh, from, from many biblical texts that we have. Okay? There's there's some truths, all truth is God's truth that are good, but in every instance there are authors inspired by the Holy Spirit attempting to communicate one primary truth. And I missed it in my reading of The Woman of the Well for several years. And so I came back. And anytime I approach a text in the Bible, whether it's for myself or whether it's preaching, I begin with two questions. Number one, what does this passage or text say about who God is, about his character and his activity in the world? And number two, in light of what this passage says about who God is, what does this say about who I am, about who men and women are in light of this? You see, the Bible is primarily written about God. So often we try to insert ourselves, and the Bible is certainly about us, secondarily. But it is primarily about God. So what does this text say about who God is? and his nature and his activity through the God-man Christ Jesus. And so here he comes, Jesus, through uh, the first couple chapters of John. If you know John chapter 1, it begins with the Word was God, and the Word was with God, uh, that sort of dialogue, and we miss the birth narrative in John. We don't have that, like we do in a couple of the other Gospels. And so in John, when Jesus begins, uh, his ministry is right there at 30, and we see in chapter 1 that he associates with John the Baptist. He gets baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist declares that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, John chapter 2, Jesus does the, the miracle at the wedding in Cana, uh, which is in Galilee. And so Jesus is, and then he ends up at the temple. So Jesus is uh, in Judea, which is south. Galilee's up here. And he goes to Galilee, and he comes back to Judea. And that's where we find in chapter 4, he's heading back up to Galilee. And so, uh, you know, if you were to drive to Kentucky right now, there's a state in between Alabama and Kentucky, right? Tennessee? Okay. And uh, what I found out about Tennessee, which is amazing, because Auburn and Alabama fans hate each other. Like, we got that. But there's something about those Tennessee fans. They really loathe Alabama in a different way. Like, they hate Alabama. And so, man, many, this is where we're at. You've got to cross through this territory where these people are hated, man. And that's where Jesus is going because Jews and Samaritans, as the text said, have no dealings with one another. They consider one another unclean. The Jews would have no, no place going through Samaria. And so a lot of times the Jews would actually take the eastern route, kind of loop it around Samaria and go to Galilee. which was a six-day journey. The Bible makes it seem like with Jesus making these trips that he's like moving from Andalusia to Hop, but he's not. He's actually taking a long journey. It's six days around the wayside, and Jesus goes right through the middle, which is a three-day journey. This is significant. Because Scripture says, verse 3, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and He had to pass through Samaria. Now, that's not exactly true in a sense. Because everyone would have imagined Jesus being a Jew, going around Samaria like all other Jews, to not have any dealings with this place, with this woman, with this stigma. It could even be potentially dangerous for Jesus and the way that these two groups hate each other. So Jesus didn't have to geographically go through Samaria, but Jesus had to go through Samaria because he was filled and led by the Holy Spirit and because he was on a divine appointment to meet this woman at this well at this hour. Now, that in itself says something about who God is and how he operates, but Jesus could have met another woman at another well and probably with a better evangelistic success rate, quite honestly. He could have had someone who maybe would have perhaps been more willing to listen to him, someone who wasn't a Samaritan, someone who wouldn't be so quick to reject a Jewish man. But he goes directly through the heart of Samaria to meet this woman at the well. And the significance about Jacob's well, if you don't know too much about Jacob's well, it's scattered throughout the book of Genesis. Isaac meets Rebekah at Jacob's well, and it goes on and on. So many things happened at Jacob's well. And so Jesus picked this particular place for a reason. And we'll see that unfold as we see his argument, sort of, in the later verses in the text. But Jesus wants this woman today. He, in particular, has sought out this woman, and he wants her heart, regardless of what she's caught up in at the moment. He wants her, and he is pursuing her. God's pursuit of this woman through Christ, Jesus, is a profound picture of the gospel message. And so there's so many truths that we could pull out of here, and I'm not going to keep you guys too long, but I could. I mean, 25, 30 truths, we could keep going, but I know. So if you like three-point sermons, then we're going to be good this morning. You're going to follow well. So point number one, what we see in this woman is that she is fully thirsty. She's fully thirsty. Let's pick up at verse 7 and read a few verses there. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples, they went away in the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, Jew, ask for a drink from one from Samaria? They have no dealings with one another. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is to saying it to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself. As did his sons and livestock, Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water anymore. We'll see in the next few verses that this woman was a little bit immoral, perhaps, And a lot of people, when they read this passage, they'll say that she's a woman, she's a Samaritan, and she's immoral. Those are the three strikes against her. But they leave one out, and we pick up on it here. This woman, regardless of her morality, is at least a little bit religious. She understands the history of where they are. They're talking about Jacob's well. This woman, we'll see in a few verses, can hold her own in a religious debate. So she's a woman. She's from Samaria. She's immoral, and she's also religious. Religious people can be thirsty too. Amen? And she knows the history. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Up to this point in John, Jesus has performed signs and he's made statements that would absolutely break the old religious covenant into shambles. What Jesus has done is he's came and he's healed people. He's came and he's cleansed the temple at this point already in the book of John. He's done the miracle at Cana. And so what he's setting up throughout the whole gospel of John is that this system where we have to come and sacrifice over and over and over again to atone for sin, it's going to be no more. The act of coming and getting over and over again is going to be done away with. There is something coming, a sacrifice that is a once final and for all sacrifice, and the same is set up with this water at this well. This woman comes day and day and day and gets the water. She goes home and she what? She drinks the water or uses the water. It gets emptied up and she has to come back. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. There is a water that I am offering that is a one-time, final, decisive water that will satisfy. You will not have to keep coming back and drinking over and over and over again. And the wild thing we see in this text in regards to the woman is that she wants it. Verse 15, sir, give me this water. I don't want to have to come here anymore. She's well aware of her deficiencies. And Jesus, where he takes her in the next few verses is absolutely incredible. Jesus meets her felt need, right? And as a church, that's what we do. That's one of the things we do is we, we meet people's felt needs. That's, that's amazing. We help people out with rent. We give them water when they're thirsty, basically. But Jesus is not just concerned with this woman's felt need. He must go deeper. He must have all of this woman. Because the gospel is this, is that. It doesn't want just a part of us. It wants all of us. The gospel is all transforming of who we are. And that's what Jesus is setting up with this water. The transition in verse 16 shows us that Jesus is concerned with things that are far different. And he dives directly into her private life. Jesus abruptly leaves the excitement of the living water. And he dives in. She was thirsty and Christ offered to meet her felt needs, but that just wasn't enough for him before we move on to verse 16 which is probably a very impactful verse i'd say maybe the most before the last one i do want to note that she's thirsty she's in a desperate situation and she uses her thirst to attempt to get out of the desperate situation i have four children ages eight to two and two in between it's a it's a marathon man and so putting them to bed at night it's a lot like a game of whack-a-mole you guys know who whack-a-mole is is that too old school? you got the hammer, and the moles pop up, and you hit them, and they go down, and they pop back up. So that's how I am with my kids, right? I get them in bed, and we read a Bible story, and I pray, and they fall asleep, and you leave expecting them to stay in their room asleep, right? And then you get downstairs or whatever, and you lay down, and you hear the little door rattling, doorknob, you know, and you hear their feet kind of pitter patting and they come out, and, oh, one's awake. So i got to put it back down, and as soon as I get one of them back down, I think I'm all done, and here comes the other one out of a different door, you know, and it's just down, up. If you've ever been parents of young children, you've noticed this, that sometimes you'll go into the wee hours of the morning trying to get that child to go to sleep. And what do they always say, by the way, when they're about ready to go to sleep? I'm what? Thirsty. Thirsty. I need something to drink. My kids hate water, okay? They try to drink everything but water as much as they can. John David, bless his heart, because we don't give him a lot of juice or anything. He took money to school before and bought a juice box off of another kid because he's so desperate for something besides water. But all of a sudden, when they're in a desperate situation, not wanting to go to sleep, what do they want? Water. They're thirsty. Now perhaps there isn't a perfect application onto this, but this woman is desperate to get out of the situation that she's in. She is thirsty, and she's calling out for water. This brings us to point number two in which Jesus illuminates So wonderfully in verse 16. That not only is this woman fully thirsty, but she is fully known. She is fully known. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now we're connecting some dots in this story. Up to this point, If you were paying attention to the text, you would have realized in the first few verses that it said about the sixth hour she came to the well. Why would she come to the well at the sixth hour? The sixth hour means the sixth hour after the sun comes up, which puts us at about what? Noon, one o'clock. It's hot. They're in Sychar, which is right in the central part of Samaria. There's two bodies of water that govern Samaria. They're nowhere close to those bodies of water. It's hot and it's a desert. And this woman lugs her bucket by herself seemingly. It doesn't seem like anybody else at the well but her and Jesus at the heat of the day. This woman is utterly wounded. She's had five husbands. Now, we don't get the details of what happened with her husbands. It's very rare that all of them died, okay? She's probably been immoral in some sense one way or the other. And she's ran through these men and... Bless her heart, now she's living with a millennial. They're shacking up, but he won't marry her, you know? (laughs) I mean, bless her heart, this woman's been battered. She doesn't come to the well because the well, there are two social structures of this day. There's the temple and the well. People hang out at the temple and they talk. But even at the temple, they have to put a filter on their mouth, right? But at the well, no. The gossip runs free at the well. Women come in the morning when it's cool or in the evening when the sun's going down. They can sit and they can talk, and they can talk, and they can talk. Now, for those of you who don't know, I'm from Samson, so uh, not too far. Op even makes Samson, I mean, Sampson makes Op look big, you know what I'm saying? And uh, And I remember my mother dragging me to the beauty salon when I was about eight years old to get her hair done, and who on earth knew it took that long to get your hair done, right? She'd be in there like two hours, you know? And I'm just sitting there listening, all these prominent women in the community. And men talk just as much as women. That's what I found out. But women talk too, especially in the beauty salon. And we're in there, and oh my goodness, all the dirty laundry I heard about everybody in town as an 8-year-old. Right? I see some of y'all shaking your heads because this is what happens. And I would walk away, and I would probably share stuff with people that I shouldn't have as an 8-year-old. But women, and men, but in this context, women can be brutal gossip and slander and the way that they talk. This woman has strategically planned out her day to avoid running into the other women at the well. There's no doubt. There would be no other reason to go in the heat of the day by herself struggling with that bucket. This is crazy. But what we see here is that Jesus is longing for the hidden places in her life. I want you to pay attention to the way that God operates through Christ Jesus here. Isn't it something that He aims to go after the one area of her life that she spends so much time and effort trying to keep hidden? That He's trying to reveal to her how desperate she is, not for water, but for Him. She's fully known. And the Gospel doesn't want 50% of us, or 75% of us, or even 99% of us. To be 99% known is to still be unknown. You have that one piece. And so many times people, when they come to Jesus, they always keep this little piece behind. God, you can have my heart. You can have my life. You can touch anything about me that you need. Just don't make me quit my job. God, you can take anything you need. Just don't make me actually marry the woman that I've been living with for a while. There's this heart that we try to keep hidden because we think if only people knew, and if only God knew the real me, that he would not love me, which is such an extreme way to think. Because what we see is not only is she fully thirsty and fully known, but this woman is fully loved. She's fully loved by God, the Father, working through Christ Jesus. And what this says about the gospel and about the character of God is that the place where Jesus wants to do His most significant work is the very place that you and I spend the most amount of our time trying to hide. Is that not true? I know when I came to Jesus, it was very exciting, just like this woman. He met many needs in my life. But there was a struggle to surrender everything that I had to the Lord. And many of you have experienced that. Sometimes you may have been in church for several years, and you've sat on pews and you've felt this tension to surrender all that you have God but he wants all of you because real transformation cannot take place until he has all of you because the Bible says that God's not interested in making bad people good he's not interested in making this bad woman a good woman Jesus is aiming to bring a dead woman back to life in this story and that's what he longs to do in the hearts of each and every man and woman on this earth to bring us back to life and to do that he needs all of us it's a fearful yet wonderful thing to be fully known by the creator of the universe and point three this woman is fully loved verse 16 okay you want the water go get your husband ouch then they spend a short three verses on the woman's sexual sin before they move to worship so in conclusion, let's read verses 19 through 26 here. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Believe me, the hour is coming neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem when we worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. This woman has a little bit of religiosity to her. And this is my story as well. And that's why I relate with this story so well, because I love theology. I like to stay up late and discuss different interpretations of Scripture because I'm a theology nerd like that. And I actually spent many years of my life knowing a whole lot about God, but never knowing God. There's a difference. And unfortunately, that's what our students need, and that's what many people in our community need, because in the church South, it becomes so common to know many things about God, to get the Sunday school and vacation Bible school answers, but not to know God on an intimate level. And God longs to know this woman on an intimate level, and He longs to know you and I on an intimate level. We are fully thirsty, fully known, and fully loved by God. And she equates her knowledge of religion and church with a right standing before God. And that's what Jesus aims to attack in these verses. But which is it, Jesus? Should we worship on this mountain or should we worship on that mountain? And Jesus says, Neither. Neither. Jesus says, it doesn't matter where you worship, it matters who and how you worship. It doesn't matter where you worship, it matters who and how you worship. This is the gospel, and that Jesus has come to smash everything that the Jews and Samaritans have been clinging to in regards to salvation. They cling to their history. They cling to Jacob's well. They cling to this mountain. They cling to the temple. Jesus says, all of those things, I am greater than those things. Cling to me. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now, why does he use the term Father? Because she doesn't use that term. Only Jesus uses the term Father. Two reasons. Because He longed for this woman to understand that this religion would not save her. She needs a relationship. She needs to become a daughter of the Father. Her soul is not satisfied. She's been through man and man and man and man. And it's a pattern of what we do before we know the grace of God. Amen? We'll go through, maybe it's cars, maybe it's jobs. Maybe it's spouses. Maybe it's diets. And we'll go through them and we'll go through them. And still our soul never finds its rest until it finds its rest in Christ. In Christ alone. And that's one way in which churches can cause damage is that they're finding their soulless in religious things and they're not exposing the real wound that is there with people. Unfortunately, the last 30 years of the evangelical church has used moralism to treat lostness at times. If you could just do the right thing, if you could just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do better. But when we use moralism to treat lostness, it's like prescribing Tylenol to a cancer patient. You're missing the real issue at hand in that these people need a new heart. They don't need to work themselves by good works into a better situation. They need Jesus. They need transformation. Number two, he uses the term Father because Jesus is now getting specific. It's amazing in the book of John, Jesus gives all these I am statements. And the very first one comes here. And he gives the very first I am statement, not to a religious leader, but to a broken and battered, battered woman. Verses 23 through 26. I promise you're almost done. But the hour is coming now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is Spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when He comes, He'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. He. Jesus says, I am greater than any geographical area that you hold to. Jesus says, I'm greater than Jacob. I'm greater than His well. I'm greater than your pain. I'm greater than your hurt. I'm greater than your men. I'm greater than your struggles. I'm greater than your identity crisis. Everything that you can put in front of Jesus, he says, I am he. I am greater. I will satisfy. Nothing else will satisfy you. You can drink and drink and drink of this water, but I am the thing that you are searching for. I am he. That's what Jesus says. And there is a criteria to knowing Him and drinking of this water, and you must worship the Father. Do you notice that? Not God necessarily in general, but Jesus says, The Father, my Father. What if I worship Muhammad? What if I worship Allah? No, you must worship the Father. What if I worship the God of Samaria? What if I worship this temple? What if I worship this geographical area? No, you must worship the Father. The Father is who we must worship in spirit and in truth. To get this water. It is a bit of exclusivity to it. Jesus does not merely provide the living water to this woman. Jesus is the living water for this woman. And Jesus is the living water for me and for you. He is the perfect representation of the Father. As a matter of fact, he said himself that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And the only way to be truly healed of our deepest need, of our deepest thirst, of our deepest desires, is to know Him, is to know Christ crucified and Christ alone. Jesus is the only way to salvation and He is the only way that our soul will find rest and satisfaction for any of you and for any of me. And if you are hearing the sound of my voice this morning, the Father Seeking you. He doesn't long for any sort of classifications or requirements other than he wants worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Will you respond to him this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and who you are. God, we thank you that you provide for us living water. God, water like we cannot find from the world. God, nothing else out there will satisfy. We could search and eat and drink and consume. God, but it is you and you alone that our soul can find soulless in, God. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this message. And we thank you that you've provided a way to you, God, to the Father, through the death and atoning work and resurrection of Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that we have that hope to cling to. And it's in Christ's name that we pray.